We've begun a new calendar year, and the Lord has been kind to us. Justin, Bim, and Spencer, they walked us through a message. Together, we will rise. That was just Thursday night. See, we're in a season of settling in new lands. And we're also in a season of being settled into new areas of responsibility within this land. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Anytime Adonai announces forward movement in a vision, there's going to be a response. The enemy is going to try to hinder, slow down, and even stop your obedience altogether. But remember how Jesus described the latter days in Matthew 24. We're going to start in verse 7. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away. And betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Yeah! And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Come on! And then the end will come. Church, we can expect war. We can expect the kingdom of darkness to rise against the kingdom of light. We can expect false brothers and false prophets to rise up and the increase of lawlessness. But we can also expect to set our hearts on persevering until the end. Somebody can, say, till the end! We can expect to advance the kingdom in every direction, regardless of the circumstance. Day or night, hardship, winter or summer, we will advance the gospel, no matter the personal cost. I love this church. This church loves you, Mr. Ledesma. We're pretty fond of you, Mrs. Ledesma. Amen. I'm so thankful to be surrounded by people who will set their hearts on being faithful to the very end. And we will advance the kingdom in every situation at all times. There's always going to be unexpected things that will happen to us along the way. So you guys, you guys are my family. Can I share with you some of the difficult things that have happened to me and my wife this week that we did not expect? As we're doing that, we're going to turn to a passage, Revelation 21, starting in verse 4. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. We long for this day. Amen? Amen. But it is not here yet. No, it's not. In this present time, we will still cry. We will still experience death. And we will still have painful moments. My wife and I have experienced one of the more painful events that parents can experience. We lost our baby after 10 weeks of pregnancy. And for us, it has been a time of mourning, a time of grieving, 
over the past few days, and it's been a difficult process. But in the midst of everything that has happened, we are not without hope. We have fixed our eyes on the only one who brings resurrection life. And we are filled with his joy in the Holy Spirit and hope for what is to come. I want to take a moment to say thank you to all of you who have been praying for us, who have been encouraging us and sending us words. This has been strengthening and nourishing for me and my wife. And, and I want to take a moment to just give praise to my wife publicly. Proverbs 31, starting in verse 30, says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord, she is worthy to be praised. Give her the reward that she has earned, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. To my amazing wife, words cannot express how my love and affection for you has grown over the past few days. I am so proud of you for how you have walked through this process. In the midst of one of the most difficult things that we could endure, you have not at all been idle, but you have chosen to help and serve yeah. others. You've chosen to pray for others and exalt your God in all circumstances. You have found your strength only in the Lord and have kept your eyes on him this entire time. He has been your shield protecting you, the one who is sustaining you when you lie down and when you rise. You have not shrunken back in any way at all. You have not given up hope, but you have exalted his name and his word above all things, and you have offered yourself as a living sacrifice to him. Abby, I am, he is pleased with you, and I am pleased with you. He is the God who is more than enough for us, and we will watch his good promises come alive to us soon. Church, I was raised in this house. This ministry is literally the same age as me. We all grew up together. We know that these trials are not anything that's new to us. No, they're not. It is not as if something strange is happening to us. While we are considering this, let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 8. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Come on! He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Church... Death is literally the definition of an unbearable burden for man. Yeah. It's not something that we can overcome in and of ourselves. It is the greatest injustice in the creation, and we all have to face it. We all have an appointment with that box. But our God is the strength of the unforgiving minute. Yeah. And he is what speaks to your bones and sinew, telling you to press on when there is nothing but his voice telling you to press on. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the one who conquered death and is leading us in that strength. Yeah. 
We must learn to rely on him and not our strength, which fails. Because we fail, and he does not. We fail, he does not. You're a family, and we want you to know that we feel pain like all other men. But what you do with that pain and disappointment is everything, isn't it? The scripture is sufficient for every situation. I want to read you a passage and tell you what we intend to do with our painful moment. We're going to be in Psalm 112, and I'm going to start with you in verse 6. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. I want you to know that we will not be moved by adversity. We will take our stand right where God has told us to, and we will not be moved. That is not because it's possible in our own strength to do that. It's because his scripture has said that is our response, and his spirit will empower us to do that. The righteous will never be moved. Somebody say, I I will not be moved. Will not be moved. Friends, we're sweet little Christians in this room, and sometimes you don't have quite the Holy Ghost defiance that you should have. You need to be able to look at an adversary, shake it off and go, I will not be moved. You need to be able to shake off a fight with your spouse, look it in the eye and say, I will not be moved. Now watch me smile. There has to be a Holy Ghost response that says the righteous will not be moved. That's not because I said it. That's because the scripture declares it. Look at verse 7. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Look, I don't desire bad news any more than you do. I didn't wake up Thursday morning, and Luke and I hold hands and say, I really hope we get bad news today. We expected nothing but the best of news. But I refuse to fear bad news. Do you know why? The scripture says that the righteous will not be afraid of bad news. We are not mere men, we are not mere cats. We are not sticking our head out of a hole looking for something to eat us each day. We are in the lion of the tribe of Judah. You need to have a Holy Ghost attitude that says, whatever comes out of the gates of hell, I will take it and that much more because he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. How are you feeling about those little problems you had on your way to church right now? How are you feeling about those Little things that have been pulling at the corners of your mind since you walked in here where you weren't sure that you could quite raise the right kind of praise. Couldn't quite get in the right attitude because of something that happened. We don't fear bad news and we are not moved in the face of adversity. You may tremble, but the rock you stand on does not. Look at verse 8. His heart is steady. Oh, come on. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Yes. 
The last enemy to be put down in the creation is 1 Corinthians 15, 26 declares is death. And we will look in triumph upon yes. that adversary. Amen. Yeah, we're learning to, to counter punch. That is what is happening. This ministry has been built on it. The enemy gave you a shot. Don't you dare give him any glory in letting him know that that was effective. Instead, smile, laugh it off, and hit him with everything that you can muster in the Holy Ghost by advancing the kingdom. Amen. Well, this brings us to our message today. The title of our message today is El Shaddai. As we get into this word, you need to know that this is one of the more disputed titles of God as far as its etymology among scholars. Yeah. Various scholars define the name in ways that I find unholy and unacceptable. Unacceptable. Uh, the Canaanites do not define for me a name of God. I'm not going to get into those controversies this morning because it would bore you and it would dry up our victorious spirit. Instead, I want to tell you that the Jewish writings on the subject are not conflicted at all. They refer to El Shaddai as either God, who is enough, or the God who says, enough! Here is an excerpt from the Baker Bible Encyclopedia. After going through many unacceptable etymologies for the name El Shaddai, they came to the conclusion, more acceptable, is the suggestion that Shaddai is a composite term of Shah, the one who, not that Cajun Shah, Charlie, and die who is sufficient. The later Greek versions have adopted this meaning as well, meaning that when you look at Greek translations where El Shaddai was in the Hebrew, the Greek renders something very similar to this. So we get things like almighty and omnipotent. When we mention El Shaddai this morning, we'll be doing it from the perspective of the people who actually gave us the book instead of the scholars that need to learn to love the book. Today, you'll consider the God who is enough for you. Amen. And the God who says, enough to your circumstances. Yeah, that's worth thinking about, huh? One of the more interesting things is that there are only six or seven occurrences of the exact phrase El Shaddai in the Bible. I mean, El appears hundreds of times. It just means God. And Shaddai appears 40 some odd times. But the exact phrase, El Shaddai, only occurs six or seven times in the Word. We're going to be examining the first six occurrences today. The name of God appears in connection with Abraham, in connection with Isaac, in connection with Jacob, in connection with Joseph, and finally, in connection with Moses. Can I tell you that cannot be a mistake? If we only have six or seven occurrences in the word and they run through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses, that cannot be a mistake. So we're going to look at the first one. Not in the word. I should say it this way. The first one we're going to look at is Moses. The last of those six occurrences. That's where we're going to start. Church say that he is enough. He is enough. Turn to Exodus 6. We're going to start in verse 2. It says, God spoke to Moses. 
and said to him, I am the Lord. And I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. You see, this is a pretty extraordinary passage when you think about it. The covenant name God that he uses, which is Yahweh, well, this appears well over 200 times just in the book of Genesis alone. And yet, this passage says that Yahweh is not how the Lord made himself known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but their primary revelation of who they knew God as was El Shaddai, or God Almighty. Yeah, there are many ways to look at this verse, but it seems to me that Moses is having a revelation of God's covenantal name, and that covenantal name was based upon and built upon the revelation of El Shaddai. In other words, to fully appreciate what the covenant name Yahweh means, you must first understand God as El Shaddai to you, the God who is enough. Moses, after understanding this, then put the name Yahweh into the text of Genesis so that his readers would understand that El Shaddai and Yahweh referred to two very important characteristics of the same and singular God. In other words, the use of Yahweh in Genesis is an anachronism. However, that's not what we're going to talk about today. We can debate about that after the service if that's what you want to do. What we want you to understand is that El Shaddai will help you understand the meaning of Yahweh. Amen. Not so from a linguistic standpoint, from a relationship standpoint. Yeah. We're going to finish this message today back in Exodus 6. But to understand Exodus 6... You need to know who El Shaddai is, the God who is enough to you on a personal level. And then we will return to Exodus 6 and see what that means for you. Say it with me, church. El Shaddai is the God who is enough. El Shaddai is the God who is enough. Perfect. We all got it. Let's go to Genesis 17. Start in verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant, come on here, make my covenant between me and you and may display, multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of of a multitude of nations. Yeah. This is the first time in the Bible that the term El Shaddai occurs. We need to consider the context of this first appearance of the name that means the God who is enough. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran with his wife named Sarai, who was barren. In Genesis 12, he was told that he would be made into a great nation. In Genesis 15, Abram was concerned that he was still childless, and even suggested, perhaps, my servant will be my heir. Yeah. God's response was to tell him that a son coming from his own body would Who's be his own heir. body? His yeah. own body. After Abram and Sarah had been in the land for 10 years, wow. and Abram was 86 years old. 
That's older than you, Charlie. <laughs> Genesis 16. Genesis 16 records Abram's efforts to produce an heir named Ishmael with Hagar from his own body. Yeah, from his own body. In Genesis 17, Abram is 99 years old, and he is at least 24 years into his journey. And this chapter makes it unequivocally clear that Ishmael is not the heir. How do you think that made Abraham feel? I mean, he's got a little time invested in this. He's, he spent 24 years working for it. In a very technical sense, the son did come from his own body. But God said no. Abram had been trying to have a child, as God had directed him from his own body, for longer than I've been alive. <laughs> I have underwear that are older than you, Gabe. <laughs> yes. My wife and I have been trying to have kids for about four years now. And can I tell you that struggle has been troubling? Can I tell you that it's made me wonder many things? Like maybe Olivia and I can't have children because we were certainly less than righteous before we got married. And the Lord is punishing us for the way that we came together. Maybe the Lord knows the wicked, nasty things that are inside of me and knows that I'll be an unfit father. And it's not, it's not allowing me to have a son because he doesn't want me to make another man like me. Maybe we can't have children because I'm just a pretty terrible provider and we've often had to ask for help with rent. We've not had groceries. Haven't had a job. I've been fired. Maybe the Lord just knows that I, I can't support another person. <laughs> to sum it up, <laughs> to sum it up, I know there's nothing wrong with my wife. I know that there's nothing wrong with the Lord. So it must be that I've just made bad enough choices and I'm a despicable enough human being that I'm the problem. Yeah, say not true. You know, Gabe, that is the point of the first appearance that we see in the word with El Shaddai. You know, Abraham experienced his share of failures. Abraham experienced a 24-year fight with barrenness. Abraham even resorted to first listening to his wife and producing the troubling situation with Hagar and Ishmael. Yeah, yeah that was bad. That was really bad. <laughs> but then, then, El Shaddai, yeah. the God who is enough, well, he appeared to Abraham. You see, the struggle within us is rarely having to do with believing that God is able to do something for us. But where the struggle usually centers around is whether God can still do something wonderful for us in the midst of our own sin or weakness or frailty. I mean, does anybody else struggle with that besides me? Yeah. Oh, it's so easy to say God can do it. It's so easy to say, I believe God will do it for Wade. It takes a whole nother level of faith to know who you are, know what lurks under the surface, and believe that he's enough 
for you. In other words, El Shaddai shows up in our failure and barrenness to let us know that he is enough, even when we are not enough. Come on. That is the situation that El Shaddai, the God who is enough, appears to address to Abraham. Now, church, it is worth asking yourselves a very serious question, which we have a slide for. In the impossibility of your failure and spiritual barrenness, who is God to you? Maybe you're not struggling to have a child, but how about the impossibility of succeeding in your job? How about the impossibility of raising your children? How about the impossibility of fully walking out your calling? Who is the Lord to you in these situations? Hey, Gabe. Hey, Dad. When else should I, the God who is enough, appeared to Abram? He effectively said, enough! To his circumstances. Abraham wasn't enough. El Shaddai was. El Shaddai changed Abram's name to Abraham. El Shaddai changed Sarai's name to Sarah. El Shaddai told a 99-year-old man, you will have a son. El Shaddai told an 89-year-old woman that she would have a son. El Shaddai called forth Isaac straight out of the barrenness of the situation precisely because he is the God who is enough even when we aren't. Yeah? Yeah. Mighty God, I thank you for this son of mine. Lord, I love him and I am pleased with him. Lord, I'm watching you form him. I'm watching the spirit that you put in him secure him. I am seeing him learn to cry, Abba, Father, and believe that you are responding. You are not only the God who raises the dead. You are the one that forms and shapes us through difficulties and circumstances. Today we say you are enough for us. In every situation, Gabe, where you feel like you are not enough, when you feel like you're insecure, when you feel like you don't measure up, you don't. But your God inside of you does. You are filled with the almighty spirit of El Shaddai, son. And I love you and I am proud of you. Church, the most foundational thing that you can understand is that El Shaddai is enough even when you are not. He appears and says, enough! To your circumstances. He appears and is enough. To perform what he has promised to do. Especially. When you already know that you are not enough. Yeah. You guys ready to look at another passage where El Shaddai appears? Together let's turn to Genesis 28. And you can say El Shaddai as you are turning there. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. Man, I love when I am not only blessed by the Lord, but also directed by the Lord. Yes. You must 
not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty, or El Shaddai, bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Verse 5, thus Isaac sent Jacob away and went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. So you see, this is an interesting one because notice that Isaac knows God as El Shaddai, and that he is asking that his son be blessed by El Shaddai. But do you guys remember the circumstances that are surrounding this chapter? Let's, let's review it. So Jacob has lied to Isaac. Yeah, like in a big way. <laughs> With a costume. Esau, Jacob's brother, has now decided that he wants to kill him. Murder. Jacob, or Isaac, Jacob's dad is on his deathbed. Rebecca, Jacob's mom, is distressed because of Esau's Hittite wife. Isaac is sending his son into the unknown. Yeah. And Jacob is leaving everything that he has ever known. So there are two perspectives in this that we can view El Shaddai's appearance. The first one is from the vantage point of Isaac. So I want to ask, who is the Lord to you? When, let's say, you have to send your son, who has a less than stellar track record, into the unknown. I mean... Or your daughter. Or your daughter. Who is God to you? Could you struggle with this decision? Could you wonder if your child would succeed? Who is the Lord to you in these kinds of circumstances? I mean, we can talk about that perspective, but we're not going to. You see... Me, I am the son that was sent into the unknown. I am the son that ventured into the foreign land called Texas. It's a good land. <laughs> Plentiful. To obtain a wife. Yeah. Let's speak about that perspective for just a minute. Can I tell you guys what an intimidating thing it was to show up to LCM a little bit over a year ago now? and ask for the daughter of Eric and Jennifer Stevens? The sister of Cody, Judah, and Gabriel Stevens? Now, I didn't grow up in a ministry home. Just coming into the faith about a little bit over six years ago, I struggled with the consistent thought that I would never measure up to the status of being Abby's husband. I was not sure. Actually, I knew that I was not enough. Abby being the daughter and sister of one association pastors, I was terrified about what would happen if I screwed up or, or did something wrong. I mean, you know, those guys carry guns and are not typical <laughs> pastors, you know? Not, not while we're preaching, <laughs> usually. And look, one of the most... If you're a jihadist out there, then yes, we do. Every time. 
And look, one of the most troubling things is that, like Jacob, I had set my target on some other things that I thought was a spiritual objective, and I turned out to be wrong. I mean, can anybody else relate? Oh, all you single people should be able to relate to this. I mean, when you're praying for something or someone that you thought you heard from the Lord about, and you turned out that they're destined to be for someone else, I mean, am I the only one that... Yeah, he is preaching. But Abby, who I thought was beyond my reach, well, this turned out to be the actual target that God had set and designed Yeah! So can you imagine what it was like for me to face my own track record and still move into the unknown, knowing that I am not enough? Church, it's worth asking yourselves a serious question. In the face of your own flawed track record and being called in faith into the unknown, who is God to you? My family, Proverbs 24, 16 says, For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Who is the Lord to you in the face of your own track record when you stepped out to prophesy and were wrong? Yep. Wrong. And probably Judah came and got you. <laughs> when you prayed for somebody to get healed and they weren't. Weren't. When you stepped out to preach and made an absolute fool of yourself, hoping not to do that one today. <laughs> Some of them are YouTube worthy. When you pursued someone as a spouse and you were wrong. Uh-huh. Let that sit for a minute. Who is the Lord to you in these situations? When El Shaddai, the God who is enough, blessed Jacob through Isaac, he effectively said, enough to his circumstances and track record. Jacob wasn't enough, but El Shaddai was. Yeah. El Shaddai drew Jacob into a deep covenantal relationship. El Shaddai gave Jacob the blessing of Abraham through Isaac. Yeah. The very thing that had been prayed for by his dad. He showed him the stairway and the gate of heaven at Bethel. Yeah. Later in the same spot, El Shaddai changed Jacob's name. El Shaddai turned Jacob from the man who had nothing to a man who had everything. El Shaddai provided for him not just one wife, but two. A bonus wife. I would pick on mine, but she's in the kids today. Luke, your track record may have been an initial hindrance, but it has been stellar ever since you considered that El Shaddai was the God who was enough. You mean it turns out that meditating on your flawed track record doesn't help you make better decisions? But meditating on the character of God and knowing that he's enough even though you're not is what fixes your decisions? I grew up with an uncle that said sin makes you stupid. It does make people stupid. Your daddy says that too. Church, the most foundational thing that you can understand is that El Shaddai is enough when you are not. He appears and says, enough to your circumstances. He appears, to he appears and is able, he is enough to perform the things that he promised. Especially, especially when you are not. So. How bad did I mess it up? You did great. <laughs> I'm having a senior moment, that's all. 
It's been an emotional week. In the life of Abraham, he was not enough. But El Shaddai is the God who is enough. In the life of Isaac, he was not enough. But El Shaddai is the God who is enough. In the life of Jacob, he was not enough. But El Shaddai is the God who is enough. The truth is that no one in Scripture had a more profound El Shaddai experience than Jacob. Perhaps that's because he's the prototype for the nation of Israel. And he's the third in a series of generations that God revealed himself as El Shaddai to. Let's look at the next occurrence of El Shaddai in the Scripture. It is again relating to the life of Jacob. Some of these big boys take two. <laughs> Or three. You ready for Genesis 35? We're going to be in verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob. But Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. So church, I'm not sure if when I say Genesis 35, you know all of the context surrounding this appearance of El Shaddai. So let me help you with it a little bit. Jacob's daughter, Dina, well, she was just raped. Yeah, the people of Israel, they're on the verge of being assimilated into the king of Shechem's kingdom, Hamor. Like they might cease to be a distinct people, just mere verses before this appearance. The family of Israel has experienced the shame of rape. They have personally deceived other people. And they have been prolifically like Experts in the application of violence. Jacob's mother, Rebecca, may not have remembered this one, but Rebecca had a handmaiden, and her handmaiden's name was Deborah. She was very much like a mother to Jacob. She had been there his whole life, and she has just died a couple verses before this. Oh, and by the way, Jacob is aware that his family is carrying foreign idols. At this moment. Somebody say that's not a pretty picture. Can you see how Jacob is in need of a continued transformation? Can you see how the cares and the worries of this world are threatening to choke out everything that the Lord has already done in Jacob? I know in my own life, when my reputation is run through the mud... It is difficult to know if I can move forward sometimes. I know when those I feel responsible for do disappointing things. I'm tormented by thoughts that maybe I should be doing anything other than leading so many people. I know that when the Stevens experience loss and the keyboard critics celebrate. I find it nearly impossible to love people as Christ has called me to. Yeah. 
The truth is that there has always been a persistent demonic attack within the corners of my own mind that Adonai should have chosen anyone other than me to walk in this function. Church, it is worth asking yourselves. When the cares and the worries of the world are choking out your identity, who is God to you? Brothers and sisters. No, no, no. Sit that for a minute. When the cares and the worries of the world are choking out your identity, you're forgetting who you are, who is God to you? Who is God to you when maybe your children do something embarrassing and you know that it comes from your lack of parenting? (laughs) Or maybe your disciples commit a blatant sin. When your team members commit acts of spiritual violence against one another. When your team unity is anything other than actually unified. When you are publicly humiliated by things that you fail to address. I mean, who is God to you in these circumstances? When El Shaddai, the God who is enough, when he revealed himself to Jacob, he effectively said enough to all of his circumstances. Jacob wasn't enough, but El Shaddai was enough. Yes! El Shaddai restated Jacob's name change to Israel. This happened in Genesis 32 and then again in chapter 35. You ever needed your name change more than once? Yeah. <laughs> El Shaddai restated the Abrahamic blessing upon Jacob again in this chapter. Again! A second time! El Shaddai led Jacob to rename this place Bethel, the house of of God in this chapter. El Shaddai continued the needed transformation in Jacob to ensure that Israel would never be choked out by the cares and worries of this world. Pastor Eric. Yes, Mr. Ledesma. Your reputation, disappointments, losses, and even your critics are inconsequential. Amen. You may not be enough but El Shaddai is enough. El Shaddai is enough! He has continued to transform you, and he will continually reaffirm you in the work that he has you doing. We are standing in a kind of Bethel. LCM, is this the house that God has built? Yes. Church, the most foundational thing that you can understand is that El Shaddai is enough even when you are not. Amen? He appears and says enough to your circumstances. He appears and is enough to perform the things that he has promised, especially when you know that you yourself are not enough. Say it with me, church. El Shaddai is the God who is enough. El Shaddai is the God who is enough. Let's take a look at our next occurrence of El Shaddai. Genesis 43, we're going to start verse 13. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May El Shaddai, God Almighty, grant you mercy before the man. 
and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them, and Benjamin, they arose, and they went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. So a little bit of context surrounding this. This occurrence of uh, El Shaddai warrants an entire sermon series. It really does. But we really don't have that kind of time. So we're going to give you a few highlights. Jacob thinks he's already lost Joseph, believes he's dead. You'll get that? He has no idea Joseph's alive. So when he says, if I'm bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. Yeah, he's already been told Simeon is in an Egyptian dungeon. You've got to think of that time period. He thought that that was a death, death sentence. Yeah, he considered Simeon dead already, and he says so in the chapter. So you can imagine that Jacob is a little reluctant about sending Benjamin to Egypt but it's required for the family to buy food. Jacob is feeling desperate because of the severity of the worldwide famine around him. Can you see how it was difficult for Jacob to risk losing another son in this kind of situation? Yeah, no, engage with that for a minute. Of all days, today, engage with that for a minute. Can you see how difficult of a position he was in? How many times do we struggle when we have to face loss all over again in our walk with the Lord? I know in my life, I struggle regarding the promise to even have somebody pray for me and my wife again to have kids because I'm concerned that we'll do it and still nothing will happen. Mm. I know that Every son we send out from this ministry experiences unimaginable hardship and loss. They've often had to have their, watch their wives lose an eye. They've been in situations where medical support was simply not available. They face Regularly, real situations of the threat of imprisonment. Or, they just have to endure the incredible satanic fury against families who are trying to accomplish something for the Lord. So when the prospect of the kibbutz and all of our grandchildren and my closest friends are being sent away it certainly demands that I face loss again. There is no harder loss to face than the thought that someone that you love is going to experience loss. Is there not a parent in the room that can relate to the idea that you would much rather endure the hardship than watch your child? I know that for me and my wife, Right now, in this moment, we're standing in the midst of the greatest loss that we have ever felt. I know that when the time comes to try again for children, we will face the terrifying possibility of another loss. That tension, 
is important that you feel. It's not manufactured. We're living in it. It's worth asking yourselves a serious question. In the very real, very real possibility of substantial loss, who is God to you? See, most Christians have sold themselves the idea that because they serve the Lord, they don't experience loss. They're not actually serving the Lord. They're serving the idea that they won't experience loss. That's yeah. what they're serving. Brothers and sisters, who is God to you when you have lost before and you're now in another scenario where you face the potential of loss again? Have you gotten your hopes up regarding a spouse, but you're not sure you want to face that kind of pain and loss again? Have you felt the compulsion to sacrifice financially for the gospel? But you've done that before, and you're not sure you want to go through that kind of loss again. Have you felt the urge to bring a word to one of your brothers? But you've tried that before. It didn't go well. Now you're not sure you want to go through that kind of loss again. So just take it off the menu. When El Shaddai, the God who is enough. Yes. Well, when he was called on by Jacob, he showed up and effectively said enough to Jacob's circumstances. All of those losing circumstances. Jacob clearly wasn't enough. But El Shaddai was again enough for him. El Shaddai gave Jacob back Joseph. It was as if he were raised from the dead. El Shaddai gave Jacob back Simeon. It was as if he was raised from the dead and released from prison. El Shaddai gave Jacob back Benjamin. It was as if Benjamin was raised from the dead. El Shaddai blessed Jacob with the best land in all of Egypt. El Shaddai provided richly for all 12 tribes throughout the whole worldwide famine. El Shaddai showed Jacob a Jewish son who is now the ruler of the known world. Church, what kinds of blessings are we denying ourselves when we protect ourselves from the very real possibility of substantial loss? Come on. We serve El Shaddai. Yeah. And he is enough even when we aren't. In fact, El Shaddai is the God who will raise the dead. Today, you need to consider what could be gained as of greater value than what you stand to lose. Because you've promised to lose your lives already. We serve El Shaddai. It's foundational that you understand. In your inadequacy, he is the God that is enough for you. Come on. Church, remember that the most foundational truth that we must understand is that El Shaddai is enough even, not even, 
especially when we are not. He appears and says, enough to your circumstances. He appears and is enough to perform the things he promised, especially when you know that you are not enough. So right now we're going to look at another passage, the last of the patriarchal interactions with El Shaddai before we return to our starting scripture with Moses. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis 48. Say El Shaddai as you are turning there. El Shaddai. El Shaddai. What's that mean? In general or to you? Starting in verse 2. It says, And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob yes! said to Joseph, El Shaddai, the God who is enough, God Almighty, appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. So church, you already know the context of this passage. Jacob is on his deathbed, and he has one last thing to do before he is gathered to his fathers. He's literally laid out. He's dying. But he summoned his strength. One more time. He summoned his strength and blessed his children and grandchildren. And with the revelation of El Shaddai, the God who is enough. Perhaps you are sitting here this morning and you have experienced the goodness of El Shaddai. Has anyone in this room experienced the goodness of El Shaddai? Yes. Everyone here. And you have become convinced maybe that you are not enough. El Shaddai is enough. However, you might not be sure that you have what it takes to pass this revelation to your children or to your grandchildren. Yeah. You've begun to believe that God's enough for you. But you have reasoned in your mind that you're not enough to pass that along to your children and grandchildren. I think if you engage with that for a minute, there's an awful lot more of that in this room than heads that are shaking. You've just now mustered the faith that he's enough for you. But you feel wholly inadequate to do everything that he's called you to do. Because you really don't think he's enough. You need to come to grips with that. It is a foundational truth that before he can be anything else to you in the word. He first has to be enough for you in every task every situation, at all times, no matter what you face. Church, I want you all to know I'm going to have children. Yes! 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 This isn't in our notes, but you gave me the microphone. 
We have to get in the habit of looking at every time that we're facing a loss, we're facing a difficulty, we're facing everything that we're talking about here. What does it mean to have the blessing of a father? What does Jacob pass down to his sons? It went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and all the way down to grandkids. The God who is enough. When was he enough for Jacob? We just went through it. Would there be a blessing for a father to give if he did not have the revelation of the God who was enough? If he didn't have to experience for himself the necessity of the God who is enough? What we are facing in a day-to-day -day basis is the testimony for our generations. And it is the blessing that we will pass on when we go to be with our father. And enough in what kind of circumstances? Yeah, but which ones are illustrated in the Bible? The inadequacy of Abraham to do it, but God was enough. The inadequacy of Isaac to do it, but God was enough. The inadequacy of Jacob on multiple occasions to do it, but God was enough. And what started with Abraham made it all the way down to Joseph's children. Because our God is enough. So I intend for my household to face every loss with the hope of passing down the blessing in the revelation of El Shaddai to my children and grandchildren. I want you to know that after sending six waves of ministers into the field, I might not be enough to produce the seventh, but El Shaddai is enough. I will help another generation of local and foreign pastors, and they will achieve their callings. The losses between here and there they are not worth comparing what will be gained by doing this. Church, I want you to know. Abby, I want you to know. We will raise our children. Even looking at the risk of loss, it is not even worth comparing to the glory of what they will pass on in future generations. Let us ask you another question. When facing your own mortality, who is God to you? This question will be answered in every living moment between now and the time you were buried. Abraham faced his own failure in spiritual barrenness and found out that El Shaddai was enough to perform what he promised, even when Abraham was not. Isaac blessed Jacob in the midst of his own flawed track record and sent his son into the unknown. They both found out that El Shaddai was enough to perform what he had promised, even when they were not. Jacob was nearly overwhelmed by the cares and worries of the world, but encountered El Shaddai and found out that he was enough to perform what was promised, even if Jacob was not. Israel has always faced the very real possibility of substantial loss, but knows that El Shaddai is enough to perform what he, has been, what he has promised, even if they are not. Now, you must face your own mortality. You're not going to live forever. No, you're not. Just like Jacob blessing Joseph and his sons on his own deathbed. Even if you were not enough, El Shaddai will help you pass on the fundamental truth that he is enough. This will echo through your generations. If you rely on him and you try.
So we're going to return to where we started and take a look at the sixth occurrence of El Shaddai. I want you to remember that the first was to Abraham in Genesis 17. The second was Isaac speaking to Jacob in Genesis 28. The third was God speaking to Jacob called Israel in Genesis 35. The fourth was Israel speaking to ten of his sons in Genesis 43. The fifth was Jacob blessing Joseph and his two sons in Genesis 48. Now we are back at the sixth occurrence in Exodus. Turn to Exodus 5. You're going to be in verse 22. Somebody say there when you get there. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done... Why? 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 O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has only done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. That's not how you think of Moses, is it? It's not how you want to think of yourselves either. But let's get real for a minute. This is what the question why brings up. Why did this happen? What difference does that make? What you do next? Well, that's everything. Learn to counterpunch. If your first attempt at righteous actions have only produced pain and loss, you sure as hell don't stop now. Are you feeling me here today? But the Lord said to Moses, Now. 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 You shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out, and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. Saints, This context of this passage is that Moses has reluctantly attempted to deliver Israel from the hands of Egypt. However, his initial efforts have only seemed to make things worse. That's never happened to us I've been there. Pharaoh has required Israel to make the same quota of bricks, but also has required for them to gather with their own straw. It is becoming more increasingly difficult. And in other words, Moses did not feel like he was enough to complete the task. Everything he was doing made things significantly worse. I. Then the Lord speaks to him and reminds him that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all experienced God as El Shaddai. The God who was enough even when the patriarchs were not. This is the foundational revolution, revelation of who God is. He is enough when you are not enough. 
This is the struggle of every man's life. It is not so much that God can't or that he won't for someone else, but it is that God is enough for you even when you are not enough for the task, especially when you're not. See, once you understand that he is El Shaddai, once you grab hold of he's enough for me personally in this situation, once you get the revelation that is foundational that says, especially when I'm not, he is enough and he's with me. Then the revelation of the covenantal name of God means everything. What good is it if he shows up and says, I'm a covenant-keeping God, if you're not sure that he's enough for you to be able to walk in the covenant? Come on. See, we don't question that he keeps his word. We question whether or not he can cause us to be able to do what he said. El Shaddai has to come before the Tetratomagron. That's how God revealed it, and it has to. Otherwise, you're only talking about a covenant that he won't break, knowing that you are a covenant breaker, and you're in a hopeless situation. The revelation to the patriarchs was in any and every failure, every weak circumstance, every retrograde experience. He appeared and said, I am enough. And they moved forward and he caused them to succeed anyway. That is why he shows up to Moses in the midst of Moses failing and says, I knew them as El Shaddai. They knew me. Your fathers understood I was enough. Now I'm telling you, I will never break my covenant with you. I will always be enough for you. I was, I am, I will be, I am Yahweh. And it means everything. I'm not enough, but he is enough. I'm not enough, but he is enough, and he made a covenant with me. He was, he is, he will always be. And when I am not enough to perform the covenant, then he is enough to perform it through me. That phrase applies first to Israel, but also to the Greek. Let's review a few questions that you've been asked today. In the impossibility of your failure, and spiritual barrenness. Who is God to you? You think you are not struggling with him. Like no, no, no. I know he's good. The problem is just me. You're not getting over you being the problem. Is a problem with him. Do you understand that? Yeah. I love you're all taking pictures. That's great. You can think about it later. I want you to think about it right now. I appreciate that you're a studious. That's amazing. If you learn this and you don't do it, you're going to learn this. Yes. And you're going to do it. In the face of your own flawed track record, if you don't relate to that wording, you're definitely not saved. You're a damned sinner sitting in here right now. Yeah. In the face of your own flawed track record. And now you're being called in faith into an unknown outcome. Who is God to you? When the cares and worries of the world are choking out 
what God has already shown you, who is he to you? In the very real possibility of substantial loss. I'm talking heartbroken into little bitty pieces. Who is he to you? When you're facing your limited timetable. And you don't know just how limited it is. I'm a pastor. I do a lot of funerals. You know, most people did not expect to die when they did. That's why we call it a tragedy. It's not a tragedy when a man's been preparing his whole life to die. He dies once and lives twice. Other men never truly live and then die twice. You got an appointment with a box coming up. You can hire somebody to lie at your funeral. Happens every day, most of the time. Or you can answer the question right now, who is he to you in the light of your own mortality? When every righteous action that you have tried to implement, tried to take, everything I've tried to do in this teenager's life, I mean everything I've tried to do, it blows up in my face. I think I'm making things worse. Yeah, who is your God to you? I'm persuaded he is El Shaddai. The God who is enough. He is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God that can be trusted even in your weakness. He will perform what he has promised if you rely on him and not yourself. My wife and I have helped to lead service through worship and preaching today. Did you see that? Think about that the next time you just don't know if you can move forward. Yeah. A young Ledesma wife can. A young Stevens wife can. Even a grandma Stevens can. Think about that. We're not in a special class of people. We just know who he is to us. Having experienced the worst loss that someone can experience, we recognize that we are not enough. But he is enough. And he keeps his covenant with those that believe this foundational truth. I just uh, kept according to my custom and bearing my soul to you guys in transparency. Yeah, he does that. Because I believe that even when I am not enough, the God I serve is enough. He keeps his covenant with those that believe this foundational truth. LCM, we're about to settle into new lands. And you are about to settle into new areas of responsibility within this land. I'm your pastor or elder, or whatever you call me these days. I know that you're concerned you're not enough. I know that you look at the shoes that need to be filled, and that causes a lot of mental and psychological warfare. I know that. Nobody's ever been enough. 
However, even if you're bleeding in your boots and you have the opportunity to boldly determine that El Shaddai is enough and that he is Yahweh, he will keep his covenant with you and he will answer all of those questions within your soul. And he'll do it repetitively again and again and again. And you will become more and more secure in your sonship so that it can't be shaken. In other words, you have no fear of bad news. And you will not be moved until you look in triumph. That's not because you're arrogant. It's because you've determined he's enough. We answer the questions on that screen by exalting the name and character of God above our view of ourselves. Now you said yes. I want you to engage that for a minute. How many times do you come to a situation and believe God may want to do something, but you're disqualified in some way? Nobody told you you were disqualified. God's sure not saying it, but you have. You are saying it. You think, I'll do a noble thing. I'll stand back just a little bit and give this brother an opportunity. What a miserable excuse for your own panty-waisted cowardice. How about you stand up and believe that he's enough, and because it occurred to you, it's your job to do it. Amen. Now's the time to put to death every wrong answer that you've ever had. And if you haven't identified some, you're not thinking deeply enough about this. Now's the time to take the boldest stand and proclamation of God's name that you have ever taken in your life. This is the time for this body to get settled in new responsibilities within this land. The days of false Christian humility are over. Amen. Me. I'm just not good enough. I don't have nothing. <laughs> not admirable. And nobody believes you. We actually think that you're a liar just saying what you think we want to hear. How about you boldly stand up and say, God is enough, even if I'm not. Yes. The days of cowardice and hiding behind inability, they're over. When you go to start a ministry somewhere, you realize you don't have that luxury. You don't get to decide to have a bad service. Don't have to, you, you can't have a bad day. Do you really think we didn't want to have bad days? We didn't want to just stay in bed sometimes. We didn't stand up knowing that we were less than the men we were preaching about. And it plagued our soul. Do you really think that that's not the case? And he showed up and said he was enough every time. And we got to know him better. Yeah. Now is a time for both repentance and empowerment. Yes. We're going to come. Actually, worship team, why don't you come down here so you're not a distraction while we're talking about this. Y'all come this way. At an altar, something dies so that something can live. That's what happens at an altar. We don't just come and say we're sorry. 
We don't just come cry profusely, snot everywhere, and call it a day. Something dies precisely so that something can live. Wrong answers to those questions. Wrong responses in your daily life to those questions. That's what needs to die at this altar. Because you know what's going to happen then? You're going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. The very breath of El Shaddai, the God who is enough, will fill you to the fullest place. A kid named Elihu who sat back, not sure he was settled in his own land, not sure he had the right to speak, not sure he should speak. I mean, after all, they were older. They were better prepared. They were also wrong. And Elihu steps up and says, the Spirit of God has made me. And the breath of the Almighty gave me this life. He further said, he has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit and my life shall look upon his light. And he rebuked everybody there. That's a man who is determined. I'm not enough. I'm just a youth. I didn't even have the courage to speak for about 40 chapters, 33 chapters. But since the breath of Shaddai has entered me, I will no longer hold back. So we will open an altar for repentance. But this is the year of Leviticus 26. There is a harvest right here that will remain even when we send out our other harvest. But it's going to have to depend on you believing God is enough for you in any and every situation. It will have to be that you got filled with the Holy Ghost and cannot be put in a disadvantage on any day, at any time, by anything. Can you rise to your feet and rise in faith? Against all odds, The Christian prevails. Against all odds, the Christian perseveres. Against all odds, the Christian walks in the power of the Almighty who is enough for him. Put to death your doubt. Put to death your excuse making. And get full of the breath of El Shaddai. Father, we say, although we are not enough, Lord, you are enough. And you say enough to our circumstances. Mighty God, we fix our eyes upon you as we are in the midst of difficult circumstances, in the midst of what you are revealing of what must change in our lives. And we say, mighty God, that you are enough to do what you promised. Transform your people, mighty God. Do a mighty work in your nation. We love you and we look to you.